welcome to Gazette Question Time. My name is Bupesh Jain, and today I am joined by Emily Gosling, who's from the famed Gosling family uh, of the, the the rum variety. And we had a chance of meeting at the Waitrose Food and Drinks Festival in 2022, uh, where Emily was doing a fantastic job uh, representing the brand. And me being uh, a rum fan, couldn't help but chat to her about the amazing rum that Gosling's do. But actually, it wasn't just about the rum that I wanted to chat to Emily, because um, she has this kind of quite a, a a touching story, quite an amazing story about her being diagnosed with cancer and that kind of how how she went through treatment and the way she actually shared that with friends and family and and, uh, and strangers on on Instagram and social media and I think it really spoke to a lot of people. So when we got chatting, I did ask Emily if she'd be happy to join me on the podcast, and I'm glad to say she said she would. So hi, Emily, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Bupesh. It's it's an absolute pleasure to. Uh to be here or virtually here talking with you and then meeting you last year in person was a really fun um, surprise at the food and drink festival, um, especially because we had been chatting online and, um, you know, having those post COVID meetings is always so much fun to actually see the person in real life (laughs) for a change. Can you just take me through your, like the beginning of, of this, of, of, of finding out that you, of your diagnosis and kind of how Mm -hmm. that all came about? You're right. I was living in in the UK in 2018 and 2019. Um, I had been living in I've been living in and around Toronto for or Canada in general for the past 20 years. Um, but in 2013, I had an amazing opportunity to work with Kirsty Loveday and Love Drinks as an intern and a brand ambassador. Um, and it was the first sort of taste, no pun intended, of of the. Um, of the life of a brand ambassador. And I had so much fun working with the Love Drinks portfolio at the time. And it just, it it gave me this interesting insight into that world and in the industry. And I just felt so welcome there and I belonged. And I um, I kind of went back to the drawing board with uh, Gosling's and asked if it was possible to sort of carve out a role for myself as a brand ambassador. So I worked on that for a couple of years and I pitched that role. Um, and I've been doing that now officially since 2016. So I've been lucky enough to represent the rum all over the world, but I had always thought that I needed more time in the UK. A summer wasn't enough. And so when I did get the opportunity to move there in 2018, I was very excited. And it ended up honestly saving my life. So I was uh, in London. I had a long distance relationship going with a a wonderful bartender uh, in Vancouver. And we decided to do long distance for for the better part of a year. Um, And then I would join him in Vancouver. And so I was living in the UK, having a great time. I was going back and forth in Vancouver, uh, seeing him and traveling around the world doing uh, rum things. And uh, I started noticing... Um, that I wasn't feeling 100%. Um, I actually came to Vancouver and did a yoga class. And I remember I was doing an upward facing dog and I just felt like a lump in my stomach and I just, something just wasn't right. So I went to my doctor and I had made sure to get a doctor who I could um, have access to. I was very, very fortunate to be able to, um, to find a doctor who was a sort of an on-call type situation. I do um, suffer from sort of anxiety and depression. And um, there's a lot of that support having not only um, 
somebody to talk to, but also um, just in case of a prescription refill, sometimes it can be difficult for those things to come into motion. So I did go and see her and I did have her as a support. And so when I did go and see her, she thought that maybe because I was in the process of moving and I was a bit stressed with work that I might have a stomach ulcer and to come back in two weeks if it didn't get better. And at that time, my family was going through a really difficult time. My grandmother um, had just passed away and I came back to Bermuda to be with my family. And it was there, my mom sort of could see me, could see that something wasn't right. I was very, very tired. I was having a lot of like night sweats and just something was off. And so she said that it would be important for me to go and get me myself checked out again. And I said that that was something that I was going to do. And I called my doctor, I was able to get an appointment and she, she still wasn't too sure. And I had to be sort of pretty... In, sort of firm and saying, I think, can you just examine me? Because at that point, she hadn't physically touched me yet. And she felt something on my stomach. I got an old, she got, ordered an ultrasound that turned into an MRI because they saw fluid and uh, I didn't hear anything back. I went back the next day um, and I was diagnosed. So I was very, very lucky because it was very fast, that whole process. And that process can take a long time generally. So for my biggest takeaway at the very beginning, I'll say it is um, advocating for yourself and not giving up is so important. If you feel like something's wrong, if you feel like something's not 100% and you're turned away, um, a second opinion is never you know, a, a bad thing. And so doing that and being assertive in that way got me that diagnosis. But then the interesting part started because originally we thought it was going to be easy just to have a so quote unquote easy, I guess, when you're talking about cancer, have a surgery and then and then it sort of be done. But as the process started going on, we realized that this was a rare form of ovarian cancer. So only about two or three percent of all ovarian cancers are germ cell ovarian cancers. And so it's kind of specific. It's a medical anomaly. And it turned out that the lead doctor, one of the lead doctors in the world who specializes um, in ovarian uh cancer germ cells specifically is based in the UK. And so it was discussed with friends and family. I've got a particular friend who is an OBGYN in Vancouver. Um, I thought I would just be able to come home to Vancouver and receive treatment there. And he said, if you want what's good for you, then you, you should stay in the UK and get treatment there. So that turned into two and a half or so rounds of chemo. Unfortunately, I didn't take to chemo that well. And so I was in the ICU for a few days in order to get my kidneys back functioning correctly and had some transfusions. And then I um, had to have surgery to remove a part of my, well, my ovary, my right fallopian tube and the tumor itself. Um, and then uh, that was May 2019. And then in October 2019, I had another one to remove another smaller part of my left ovary. I, yeah, I was in remission. I got that notice on the 23rd of October. So it was a pretty intense few months. And I mean, I'm still sort of processing it after all this time. <laughs> but, um, well, obviously, I'm super glad that you've obviously taken well to treatment. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, our listeners can't see, but you, you are looking... Fit and healthy and <laughs> obviously you. on your Instagram you're always kind of posting things so we can see you in <laughs> like living like your best life but sorry carry on I just want to yeah. say it was good to no see thank you. you oh thank you so much I appreciate that it's it was a whirlwind for sure a, a very crazy couple of months and what made it really intense was that I was um I was about a week away from moving back to Vancouver and so at that point Dave and I had the plan for me to move in well we were going to move into a new place together and we had secured that place. It was a rental, just a few block, uh, just a block from where um, he was living at the time um, in Kitsilano in Vancouver. Um, and then I got this news, and you know, he is such an incredible part of this story because he he was you know the second call I made after talking to my to my mom and my sister, and 
it was the hardest call of all to make um, just because I didn't know what this would mean. We'd only been dating for a few months and um, he sort of made the decision. You know, it was, it, it was amazing because it doesn't, it, it wasn't hard in the sense that like, I, I thought that this was, there was going to be a bad outcome and um, that, you know, he would say this is too much or whatever. It, it was never that. It just, I felt so bad for, you know, bringing this sort of civilian along for this crazy journey that, you know, he didn't ask for, but um, it never once throughout the entire process did he make me feel like it was a burden. Um, he quit his job. He moved to London and he took care of me. The 24 hour kind of care that I know that my family is eternally grateful for. He would never think a, a second of it. And saying that like well of course that's what I would do and he was there the entire time and um and now he's my husband so that's incredible and that's uh, a really beautiful part of the story is is what the relationship that we formed coming out of uh, that and he really encouraged me you know he was there but he couldn't be there all the time my parents I mean my mom was amazing and coming over from from Bermuda um you know I had the support of my family but you know the the hospital can be a really lonely place a lot of the time especially late at night and it was social media that really helped me feel close and connected to not only my friends and family but my family in the industry as well too it was the biggest and most devastating thing to have to cancel on so many different uh, events that I had you know my my agenda was booked for the next six months. And I really felt like I was letting people down. And that was probably the hardest part of being diagnosed was all of a sudden your life coming to a screeching halt and you having to to tell people in retrospect, you know, everybody took it so well, not only that, but we're so supportive and, and incredible. But I, that was definitely the hardest part. And I feel like the FOMO that I did also have as it was turning, you know, spring in London is just such a unique and beautiful time. And I was watching the seasons change and I was watching everything sort of grow. And as I was deteriorating in health, I was watching sort of like the environment grow around me. And that was really isolating, especially when I wasn't allowed out of the hospital just due to sort of infections and stuff like that at that time. And, you know, and I'm really fortunate because it was also a pre-COVID time. And so I think a lot now and a lot of the work that I do with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in Canada and thinking about, you know, what patients and their families have had to go through the, over the last couple of years. I mean, cancer is a lonely, isolating, difficult thing anyway, but doing it um, amidst a global pandemic is overwhelming to, to consider. And a lot of people live that. Um, and so I you know, that's something that I'm, that really drives me now, but social media was huge because, um, I felt like I could still be a part of something even so far away. Um, and the, the response that I got back from, from people who said it helped or just, you know, the support that they were giving me made me feel less alone for sure. I wanted to talk to you about that because it was, um, I, I follow you on Instagram uh, <laughs> and being a rum fan, you have to follow Gosling, obviously, <laughs> you know, I was just kind of like taken aback by how like raw it was and mm -hmm. how open you were and I guess explaining it now it makes sense of why why you did that because you wanted to have that connection I wanted to make sure that that the people that I loved and and my family and friends and the people who were following along were getting the updates um you know instead of it was exhausting thinking as well too to have these individual calls and so it just made more sense to to share that and it's you know instagram's a very take it or leave it type thing if it's too much you can mute somebody if it's too too much right now or something like that like it, it's sort of like a take it or leave it you know i i wanted to be able to provide that but i it felt i look back now and i definitely think that there are some posts um one in particular where i was i was like four, four days out of surgery and i was I was in a pretty dark place and I like took a selfie like on the commode being like, just don't ever take a Monday for granted or something. And I look back now and I'm like, 
that was raw. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it was part of the journey as well. I shared the news of the diagnosis all the way to remission. And I feel like people saw that. And if it could help just, you know, taking that, you know, extra walk outside because you could, um, you know, putting your toes in the grass, you know, giving a family member a hug and just remembering to to be present. It was an interesting and unique gift for me being ill like that because I've never been so present in my life. All of a sudden, it wasn't about, you know, that next event or, you know, that next vacation. It was what's today going to look like and how, I'm gonna, how am I going to make the most of it in this sort of curtained hospital location? Because I did have anywhere between at any, at any time, four to eight people in the same room it just and just curtain dividers so i made friends i you know the nurses were really fantastic as well too i may or may not have um you know i, I have a hard time not working and so there might have been some mickeys of goslings exchanged in in, <laughs> in some in some ways um, and that was uh fine um everybody needs a little pick me up every once in a while off shift and so you know, I felt like I was still giving back a lot, but, you know, I made the decision when I became a brand ambassador, Emily Gosling, that I, you know, that's, I wanted to be as real as I could. It's not Emily, the brand ambassador. And then Emily, you know, like I'm the same person, which is why my social media is so intertwined. You're having a picture of a cocktail and there's a picture of my husband and my dog. Again, it's a take it or leave it type thing. That's the way that I've decided to sort of live my life online is just kind of open in, in that way. And I'm it's it's related just to do the damage from the those two surgeries but I do have one more hopefully last surgery coming up and I haven't made that public online yet I think part of me is a, it's a preservation thing just because it will become real it's a culmination of two and a half years of waiting for the surgery and so it's it's exciting that it's happening and it's a really hard sort of mind warp to be so excited for something so terrifying I need it done and it's been a lot of work and sort of fixing my mindset about something that I can do and not something that like I'm afraid to do. I, I have to do it. And, but it's, it comes as a, it's a little bit harder now just because you kind of know what to expect. I was kind of naive when I first went into surgery. It's like, okay, like I can take this, but now sort of knowing what, what's coming is, is part of the journey here. And it's, um it's a little bit more difficult. And I think, again, I'm going to lean on my family and friends, um, and the support of the internet's world, um, to, to be with, there with me and give me the strength that they did the previous two times. So really hope the surgery goes well and Thank you. you know, you're, you're back to doing what you do uh, as soon <laughs> as possible. And I just wanted to go back to kind of two things you said, mm-hmm. one being, you know, the initial checkup with the doctor who, mm-hmm kind of was like well maybe it's something else don't worry about it Mm -hmm. like come back in a couple of weeks but then also kind of I don't know whether luck is the right word but being in the place where the special like one of the best people in the world to treat that form of cancer was there because I guess you could have been you could have moved maybe a month earlier and it would have been a different situation I just wonder how you reflect on those two things I'm still trying to reflect is a really great word in it because I'm still trying to process I mean I got, um, I was in remission in October, still very, very weak and and still, you know, recovering from a second surgery. And, you know, COVID was, you know, less than six months later, you know, like three months later, we're in this global pandemic for two years. And so it hasn't really been very easy to, to sort of process what's been going on continuing, like, just because we're still, you know, a lot of the world is trying to process what COVID was. And during COVID, I had a very, very difficult time with the Canadian healthcare system. It took me seven months to get a colonoscopy, which is something that I really needed done. And it was pretty scary. And at that point as well, too, with COVID. And the reason I originally had these symptoms, the tumor ended up being something completely like 
we, you know, nobody was expecting that it was cancer, but the reason I was going in and the symptoms that I was having were symptoms that were getting worse, but I had experienced for a lot of my life. And they were sort of gastrointestinal type symptoms. Um, and I was diagnosed way too late in life with Crohn's. And so I, I do have Crohn's and that I think was a part of the reason why I wasn't feeling so well. I just, it so happened that, that there was a tumor there. And so I'm really fortunate that my Crohn's symptoms led me to go to the doctor. And I will say, you know, I am, again, that I am extremely lucky and fortunate. I know this, a lot of people aren't in this position, but you know, I did seek out private healthcare in the UK. It saved my life be, just because getting that diagnosis in the later stages of that kind of ovarian cancer um, doesn't have as positive an, of an outcome. And so I'm really, really lucky to be in that situation. And that's why advocating, I know that, um, you know, Initial diagnoses can take a long time in the UK and, and in Canada and, and a lot of parts of, parts of the world, which is why it's just so important to continue to advocate and continue to, you know, I've seen a lot of people in Canada as well, too, take to the news to share their stories. And, you know, it shouldn't have to come to that with healthcare. And I understand that it's been put under an immense strain, but I'm really hoping that there is a way that at least initial diagnoses can be detected earlier. And that's why just taking care of, of yourself. But also, you know, I took care of myself and I got cancer. I mean, at the end of the day, you're not preventing things like that, but it, but it is really important to um, to ask the questions, to reach out. And that's also why I wanted to be that person on social media too, to a show that advocating for yourself can lead to a positive outcome, but also to be a sounding board for other people who were having questions and concerns about their own health. And so I have been doing that too. But yeah, I mean, reflecting on the fact that Professor Seckle was there, you know, if I hadn't, it can, I try and trace back all the way to what led me to be there at that certain time. You know, if my relationship in my long term relationship in Toronto hadn't ended when it did, if I hadn't gotten into surfing, if I hadn't gone to the UK in 2013, you know, if, if my dad hadn't been born in Exeter, you know, and me being able to live there. So, I mean, whether or not this was all supposed to work out this way or just, you know, my story can serve to, I don't know, just be helpful just by the fact that it just exists. <laughs> That's great. But um, I don't, I'm, I'm not too sure. I, I feel extremely, extremely fortunate. But yeah, if I had been anywhere else, it would have been a very, very different story for sure. And that diagnosis to treatment, it was quite a short time, wasn't very, it? Very, very were... short. I was, I, I gave, I got back from Bermuda on the Sunday. My doctor was able to see me the next day. She was able to squeeze me in. And then I was able to get an ultrasound and an MRI like that day. Like she sent me right there. And that's the thing within this, um, within that system, they have their own machines in that way. So that was able to, to happen. And again, very, very lucky for that to happen at that point, you know, and the reason I was able to afford that was very much thanks to to my family and to my mom who who sacrificed a lot to come out and still be the president and CEO of Gosling's Gosling's group of companies. But at the same time, um, you know, her daughter was in in a in a bad way and she never for a second, none of my family, um, but especially my mother, ever made me feel like that was a burden and was there and anything that needed to happen, she was there to make it happen. And so I know that I'm extremely lucky in that regard to to have that support i know when you I mean, not even you know if you have a cold you want to have your parents around, or like your <laughs> loved ones around you mm -hmm. to make you feel better and I, so i can't imagine what it was like to live or to be in a country where you're kind of alone and you kind of needed kind of your family to come around to you and they obviously mm -hmm. weren't in this country and I, I mean yeah i don't know how you how you went through that it was it was 
scary. I mean, the initial few days, just because there was a lot. So once I, I saw the doctor and I was able to get that diagnosis, the next day I met up with one of, he, he was, he was in the, in the midst of sort of trying to diagnose, they were kind of figuring out it was before I was given to Professor Seckel when they realized that I had this this very unique kind of cancer, um, they I was passed to a couple of different specialists to sort of see like what happened. And there was a lot of talk about having the, the tumor removed and that being okay and that being like, because it was fairly isolated, but then they realized it was too big and they wanted to try and shrink it with chemo. So there was a lot of back and forth about me being there for a month, me having to do chemo for up to eight months. The person who was there before anybody got there um, was my flatmate and one of of my best friends in the world, Nabs. And Nabs actually has one of the, other than Kirsty, the longest employee at Love Drinks. Nabs is one of my favorite people in the entire world. She was my flatmate. She held my hand through so much. Um, and she was my family away from home, very much so. And so I am extremely grateful for her. And my very good friend, Tina Murphy as well too, came right over. I was living with five people as well. And they surrounded me with lots of love. They came to see me at the hospital. And my mom was there as much as she could be. But what also sort of ser- further served to to be complicated was it was also the summer of my sister's wedding. And so while we're celebrating this really incredible time, you know, her maid of honor is fighting for her life. And it was a really, really difficult time for my sister as well, too. A lot of mo- emotions flying <laughs> around her uh, wedding served to, be, served to be the ultimate motivator of getting better and recovering from my surgery as quick as I could, um, because three weeks later I was walking down the aisle um, in Italy, and I was able to make that, which was incredible. But yeah, the, my family was huge, and the, those first initial days were really scary. I remember when Dave and I went to first meet Professor Seckel. It was with the intention to say, "Okay, we have made our decision to go back to Vancouver and get treatment there." And instead, I was told that if we didn't move quickly, then I would not be in a good way, um, and that there was a bed for me upstairs in the hospital, and I was to start chemo that night. And I had never stayed overnight in the hospital before in my life, and I was 31, and so that was pretty traumatic to have that all re- processing you even have cancer and then and then having that treatment start right away I'm very fortunate that it did and that we could move that fast but I think of those first few days a lot um, and just you're in survival mode literally and I think that that's how I coped it was again being present and just realizing that this is what the situation is now and how do I best tackle it yeah yeah it feels like in the like you say like in a matter of days hours even mm-hmm. you're you're in the middle of it and you're kind of, I mean, I don't know, swept away the right word. I mean, you're just kind of on this treatment and mm-hmm. kind of... Yeah, and you, know, you don't really know the outcome. And it's interesting because I, at that point, there was never any question about, you know, like, am I going to survive this? Or like, that's, it's weird. Your your mind just doesn't have the opportunity to think that way at that point. So and those first initial things, it's just like, oh, well, this is what's happening now. And this is how I have to go about it. And, you know, you hear a lot of stories about different people's journeys with it. Um, and the most important thing for anybody who's been recently diagnosed or, or has a family member or is a support system for somebody, it's like every single person, there's no, you know, broad spectrum when it comes to, you know, you could have a, a, the same kind of cancer as somebody, but their odds or anything that's going on isn't is it has to be done at the individual. Every single outcome is different. Everybody's body works differently. Everybody, you know, responds to treatment in a different way. And so trying to sort of generalize can is it's it's not only inaccurate, it could also be a bit detrimental to the person who's experiencing that too. Is you know, like that validation sort of needs to be there that this is somebody's own journey and whatever that 
takes, you know, people saying that you're so strong. And I don't know, I used to respond with, well, I didn't have a choice, you know, like, of course I was because I had to be, but of course you have a choice. Everybody's got a choice and you're never faced with anything that is too much for you to handle. And I kept trying to remember that I wanted to be a good example for my later self. I wanted to be able to say that I came through that experience, you know, just in, in a version that I would be proud to know and to talk about now. And it doesn't mean that, you know, some of it was some kicking and screaming because it's a complete life upside down. And a lot of it was really hard and really isolating. And I was frustrated and I was angry, but I feel really fortunate because what got me through a lot of it, especially in those dark times was just memories. I felt like I had taken so many amazing opportunities. I learned how to surf, which is something that I really wanted to do. I moved out of Toronto and sort of started my life over again after a really difficult time while I was living there. And, you know, I had met this wonderful man who made me feel like I was the only person in the world. And and I finally had lived my dream of moving to the UK, which again, as I said, ended up saving my life. So every single time things got super dark, I remembered I remembered those things and I lived through those memories. And then Dave and I talked a lot about what we do afterwards. And our big thing we wanted to do was go surfing in Tofino, which is a beautiful surf spot on North Vancouver Island, home of some of the greatest cold water surfing in through this part of the world. And so that was our dream. And the January after I was in remission, um, we went there and that was really, really special. And then the next year we got engaged there (laughs) on the same beach. And so those those types of things, you know, even going to the surgery now, now I have those moments. And I'm just, again, just trying to take all of the opportunities that I can, um, just because, you know, you, you can't take anything else with you other than those memories. <laughs> so, yeah. I imagine having, well, not only the memories to talk about, but also the things to look forward to and to plan for are mm-hmm. quite important while you're going through treatment and, and kind of recovery. And- mm-hmm. Yes, I, I mean, I was lucky that the, um, the hospital had a really great view of London as well. And so um, even just like people watching, walking, pe- watching people walk down the sidewalk, watching people like just have an ordinary day, whatever that may mean, um, was something that just gave me comfort. It was never sort of, it I wasn't just sitting, it, it just didn't really seem to be any point in just like sort of sitting there angry, like a woe is me attitude. You have every right to feel however you need to feel during any part of a journey, but it just didn't really feel like that served me. So I, you know, I, I try to, to just imagine what my friends and family were doing sort of in and around London at the time. I could visually see sort of the skyline. And so, you know, that, that always sort of helped. And again, just sort of watching the seasons change and reading books. I did a lot of like scratch lotto cards as well too. (laughs) So, um, but also just keeping, you know, uh, an eye on what was going on with Gosling's and then the family as well. I, you know, life continues to move on and around when all of this is happening. And it's easy to forget that in the walls of, uh, especially in the ICU. I remember I had been there for five days and out of all of the things I experienced in my cancer journey, the days in the ICU were definitely the hardest. You are so being fully conscious and seeing what other people are going through, not only the people who are in the beds, but the families surrounding them, like the amount there, there are like screams and moments of horror that I'm never going to be able to get out of my head. And that's, so that's sometimes what keeps me up at night is is thinking about that and like the that's just the most raw and human you can get. And I lost sight of myself for a minute in there. It was it was a really, really dark time just because we knew the chemo wasn't working and surgery was overwhelming and we just didn't know what 
what the road next was. That was the first time where things got like pretty scary. But the person in the bed next to me had asked for um, a television. Um, And so uh, it went on. And I remember looking over and it was Prince Harry and Meghan's wedding was happening in live. And all of a sudden, like it clicked because not (laughs) in the other parts of the hospital, I could see the skyline, but weirdly in the ICU, the windows behind you. So you're just looking at hallways and glass doors and, and whatever. But I had lost sight of the fact that life went on. And you can very much get sucked into that sort of hole of of surviving. But when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, I, I'm in London." <laughs> like, I was a, my presence shifted, and it was like, "Oh no!" Like, I'm in London, and I'm this is going on right now, and like this beautiful celebration of love is happening like just down the street from me. And it just, I don't know, it just gave me a okay, like let's refocus now because oh, there's a lot of mind work. Not only are you trying to take care of your body, that's doing weird things that you can't really control, but your mind is is the most important part to keep sort of level-headed and focused. Um, it's it's incredible what it can do. Um, and I didn't realize that I was letting myself slip until I saw Prince Harry's face. And I was like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, so. The little reminder you needed. Um, A little reminder I needed for sure. And I want to know, you did mention family, uh, family of other, other patients, but what, what was the impact to your family? I, I mean, cancer doesn't just impact the the, the person yeah. it's it's everyone around them and you have did you have those conversations or since yes I mean Dave has been the most incredible support and sometimes you know he's he's somebody who is just eternally like he wants to take care he wants to make sure everybody's okay and I do have to remind him that it's a very important to to refocus and and be you know, to take the time for yourself, um, meaning, you know, going out with friends and, and being able to go away, go see his, he's from Australia. And so making sure he was able to go home at the beginning of last year for five days, just without me and just being able to take some time, go play some golf, go, you know, have a beer with some friends, uh, making sure that you're just taking that time to, to relax and take a deep breath. We got a dog in April of 2020, who has been such a huge, I think, support for both of us. He's, you know, he's, got us outside. He's got us hiking. He's got our, you know, our blood pumping and stuff like that, being able to do exercise. So that's been really important to both of our health as well too. So that's been a nice thing. But as far as my family goes, um, my mom and I have been very open about the effect of the impact. It was obviously very noticeable. I expressed how I was feeling. She expressed how she was feeling. It's again, just because we're not completely out of the woods yet when it comes to this surgery, we are still sort of in that. And we have to remind each other that it's very difficult for both of us. As you as you said, it's absolutely just not about your own journey. My sister has been um, the most incredible person in the support system right now. And I know that this has taken a huge toll on her. She's my only sister. You know how it's, I continue to say to the support system that I had, I am so I, so much more preferable for me to go through this. It would be so difficult for me to watch anybody that I love to go through this. And I think about that all the time. And I have to remind myself that it's, you know, to stop apologizing and to not think of myself as a burden at the end of the day. If this were to happen to anybody I love, then I would be there 100%. <laughs> but it's so hard. You know, my mom's husband, Ruri, as well, too, was incredible. He was the keeper of the lotto tickets, always made us smile, always up for being jovial and, and cracking a joke. And, and everybody was just really incredible for dealing with something that none of us have ever had to go through before it was <laughs> i'm really proud of my family yeah, yeah. Well, they they do sound 
like amazing and, and <laughs> they really rally it sounds like they rallied around you i mean this happened just before the pandemic and then mm-hmm. you go into like like two three years i mean even now sort of where life isn't really the same and i wonder how how has that reframed how you think about life and, and doing the things you want to do or has it put any have you had to limit yourself in certain ways i have I've had to limit myself physically because the reason I'm having this third surgery is due to the trauma of the first two surgeries. It's opened up a very large hernia in my stomach. So I've got a very large gap that will now need to be sealed in with with mesh in order to sort of keep from my torso from like losing sort of function in that area and muscle mass and everything like that. So that's a surgery that I've been waiting on for a couple of years now. And unfortunately, I was not able to receive the care um, in Canada, just because it is a very complicated surgery. Um, I, I have to have abdominal surgery with Crohn's. And so they've got to make sure that they seal it up in a way that potentially could be accessed again, just in case anything does happen with my digestive system down the road, because Crohn's is degenerative. So that's really scary. And that's a, that's something huge to take on. And so it's limited me in that way. The steroids that I was on because of Crohn's, you know, my body changed a lot. And also just coupled with the fact that I'm 35 in a couple of weeks and you wonder what these aches and pains are and you get really scared and you're like, oh no, that's just your body being older. (laughs) So that's been like an interesting thing to, to realize, you know, COVID kept us in our houses for a lot. So exercise patterns changed, but I think my biggest mindset now is, is working to give myself a bit of grace. I was always really intense about going to the gym, how I looked and how I presented myself. And that was always something that caused me a lot of stress. And sometimes if I let it, it still can, but it's definitely given me this time has given me a mind shift now into what's truly important. And that's being a good person that's taking care of your body as best as you can, um, getting outside and getting some fresh air, but putting myself through the stress of not going to the gym every day, or, you know, just being this quote unquote, like perfect version of myself. It, that's that's um, a lot of wasted energy at this point. I want to be the best version of this person at this point. And that's what I've had to sort of work to get my mind around. But it's uh, some real, real wisdom there. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's a it's a daily, daily struggle, I think. And I think for a lot of people, we've all had to sort of give ourselves a bit of a break with COVID. But I am the most grateful for the concept of athleisure. I must say that I've also just allowed myself to not wear clothes because they're fashionable or whatever, but they could be comfortable. And with Crohn's having a sensitive stomach, that's been really nice. So COVID giving rise to the sort of popularity of comfortable workout clothing has been a godsend. (laughs) I've been very fortunate to, uh, to be at a time where that is something that is appropriate now in the workspace. And you mentioned that you're doing some work uh, in Vancouver, in Canada, with um, people on their own journeys. Do you want? Can you just chat a bit about that? Kind of what you're doing, and sure. So I was really when I got back to to Canada, um, I realized that the love and support that I was I was receiving from the British, like the so they were receiving from the from the industry in the UK, was extending out to Canada as well too. And when I got back, there was a really incredible bar here called Kiefer Bar, which I was actually at last night. And they had a cocktail on. Chris Mosey and Amber Bruce had created a cocktail called the Bandana Cocktail, where a dollar from every uh, drink went to my charity of choice. And I chose the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Uh, my grandfather passed away of lymphoma. My aunt has lymphoma, and 
a very, very special former employee of Gosling's, Ellis Frazzoni, also is a survivor of lymphoma. And then I've got a very good friend, Sophie, as well, too, who is an incredible, beautiful human being who was going on, who was going through her own cancer journey with lymphoma as well during my time and my friend Gabby Berkman. And so it's been, it's something that's touched me. It's kind of cheating on my cancer, but I felt like that where is an interesting place to start. And I started realizing through that initiative that I could use my work with Gosling's and as a brand ambassador in order to help support patients and their families. Um, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society chapter out here has been absolutely incredible. They reached out to me initially because Gosling's has been supporting the uh, Leukemia Cup, which is a regatta that happens in multiple places around the US. And it just so happened that the first ever Canadian Leukemia Cup um, was going to be at the World Vancouver Yacht Club, which is literally like four blocks from my house. And so I initially, as a, as a member of the Gosling family, went and, and met them and realized that there was room to to work and grow in this amazing supportive space. And so I joined the race advisory board committee. And throughout COVID, I my husband and I did some amazing um, at-home cocktail seminars for fundraisers for people who had fundraised towards the Leukemia Cup and Light the Night, which is an amazing initiative that happens around the world of fundraising. And so I did that. I donated my time and product. Um, we made some gift baskets and cocktail kits and stuff like that that would get sent out. I recently worked with the um, World Hockey Association. I was doing an Ace Your Way to Bermuda initiative on one of their holes for their charity golf tournament. And so just being able to be a brand ambassador, but also share the love of uh, of doing something good <laughs> with people. So I've been, yeah, I've just been working with, with them over the past uh, couple of years now. And I owe a lot to Ryan and Erica at, uh, at the um, Leukemia um, and Lymphoma Society Vancouver chapter for um, allowing me to donate my time and energy because it's, it's been the best. And what's next for you prof- oh, personally, professionally? I mean, you obviously got your, your surgery coming up and then, mm-hmm. as we said, we really hope it all goes well, but thank what, you. What's next? It's a it's a, a busy couple of months. I I have to admit. Um. So on Sunday, my husband and I are traveling to Bermuda. My sisters hired my husband um to well on behalf of the Rosewood um, Hotel to be a bartender in residence. So he's going to be doing some work there. He's currently finishing up his role as bar manager at Laboratoire, which is a really beautiful restaurant down in Gastown in Vancouver. And he's been there since before the pandemic. It was the first job that he got after we returned back to Vancouver. So it's going to be bittersweet leaving that uh, establishment, but we're going to go to Bermuda and then I head to to Boston for the month and then we're going to move to Vancouver Island. So we got married out there, but we've decided to downsize a little bit and optimize the the space <laughs> and the beauty of, uh, of Vancouver Island, just a bit more space for the dog and just some fresh mountain air and being closer to the ocean and to surfing and things we love. The airport out there is amazing. I can get anywhere I need to go in Canada just as easy from Victoria as I can from Vancouver. So we're excited to to make that move in the summer. Hopefully go down to Australia and see his family again and I can work with um, our distributors down there. And then we would like to go to the Bahamas to visit my sister for and her partner for um, her birthday in May. So lots of crazy stuff <laughs> happening. As far as Gosling's goes, we you know we celebrate our International Dark and Stormy Day on June 9th. So definitely stay tuned for some fun things we have going on with that. While I'm in Bermuda, I get to be present physically at a board meeting, at our board meeting, which is really exciting because um, that doesn't happen as much as I'd like being all the way out here. And I'm working with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society on um, 
February 22nd, we're doing a fundraiser and sort of thank you cocktail seminar. Um, the first one we've ever done of this kind in person. So I'm going to be able to meet a lot of the people that I've been fundraising with um, virtually uh, over the past couple of years um, in person. So that's very exciting. That sounds like a, a packed <laughs> almost year, I think. There's so much going <laughs> yeah. on there. Um, I, I might have to follow up on some of those bar recommendations. Um, Absolutely. Maybe even visit Bermuda one day, who knows. Um, <laughs> but I want to say thank you so much, Emily, for joining me on Gazette Country Time podcast uh, to share your story. It's It was, you know, just amazing to hear kind of your journey and and and, and where you are today and and how you went through it all uh, and but the how you remained really kind of strong in mind and character and it really sh- shone through in, in, in your story today um, thank you i would like to thank emily for joining me um, hopefully we'll have her back and we can talk about rum exclusively you've been listening to gazette question time my name's Boo and we will see you soon